All right, fellow fact checkers, be sure to head over to Fox and Sons Coffee and check out the best coffee sponsor a guy could ever hope for. And if you use the code FCT for fact check this at checkout, you will get 18% off any order of $25 or more. Also, be sure to check out the subscription packages. And any order of $37.99 or more goes free shipping. Check out the light blend, the dark blend, the uh, medium blend, the electric boogaloo, and the decaf. Be sure to check out Fox and Sons Coffee. So let's start the show. And episode number two of the Manly Men Doing Manly Shit uh, series. So this was all spurred from a article that I saw talking about how, um, let's see, masculinity is dead. And it was a completely terrible article, but it did at least inspire the idea of getting some folks together to talk about the idea of masculinity being dead in different aspects of life and how we can bring that back and reverse course on it. So uh, last week I was joined by Adam Nutter and Reed Coverdale. And we talked about men in the workforce and Two people that to, know nothing about being men <laughs> <laughs> trying to bring masculinity <laughs> back to the workforce. I, I really wanted Nutter on because he's as a comedian and seeing, uh, seeing the shift of, of the comedy sector over the last, you know, 15 years or so. Uh, I wanted to get his take on that and then and then read uh, doing a number of different stuff. Yeah. So so that was a lot of fun. This week we are focusing on fatherhood and I wanted to get a bunch of guys who I know have kids and who take a lot of pride in having kids and and raising their kids. Well, uh, Tommy's a little bit more on the on the tail end of that than than the others of us. But I'm I'm somewhere weirdly in the middle, even though I uh, don't feel like I'm old enough to be, I've got a grandkid and, but also kids that are, are like younger teenage years. So it's a interesting position in life that I wasn't prepared for just yet. Uh, life, your- life comes at your, life comes at you fast in the trailer park, man. Come on. That's that's- just- <laughs> Amen. Uh, this is very true. <laughs> do you all have trailer parks in Australia, or do you just live out in the bush? The I have no idea. I'm, I'm trailer parking. Remember, I'm, I'm an import. I don't care what happens. <laughs> in Australia. Uh, I, I just want to make that clear. Everyone tries making these digs at me with Australia, and I'm like, you know what? I don't give a shit. Right? I, no, like, I'm not I making a dig. I'm really. I'm seriously asking. Do they have trailer parks out there? Do, do they have, no, have manufactured I have no idea. of any sort? I have no idea. So the the, the word the the Australian word for white for white trash. 
or hill uh, or whatever rednecks is it's is, Australian. Uh, is boat. Well, it's Australian. <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh, it's no, it's a good it's a good word. It's it's bogan. So bogans are, and they have another term for like cashed up bogans, which are like what rednecks who went up to the mines and made some money, like made a hundred grand a year and then come back and like buy all this shit. So yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there's, there's people living in caravans. Um, caravan, caravan living is, is big down here. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they they, cause homes. everybody down there is, is, comes from the genes of freaking criminals, unless you chose to move there from Canada. <laughs> yeah. And then you're much. just fleeing communism to live amongst criminals. What's the difference? I don't, I don't really, I don't leave the house much. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I know. Nice, I, nice I think I would enjoy the. I would enjoy the nature, though the the, the outdoors of Australia. I, I would yeah. have a lot of fun. There. Everything can kill yeah. you. Yeah, I know that's awesome. <laughs> More reason to carry a gun, right? Oh, yeah, no, no, you can't like, do that, uh, can you? <laughs> six foot spiders or anything like that in the area that you're that you're in. No, the only thing we have around here. Are, there's some snakes that you got to watch out for. Uh, and then there's a, a shit ton of kangaroos. Like there's kangaroos in the park right across my house. Do you ever go box so. them? There's some jacked up kangaroos. No, though, man. They're... No, one. I was. I once saw like a seven foot kangaroo. Like I was walking. Jeez. Through a, <laughs> yeah. Bigfoot. <laughs> I was walking. I was walking through a. I was walking through a trail. And it's just you know, one of those things where you, you, you see, you feel something staring at you. Right, and you kind of I looked over, and just down down a little ways was this massive motherfucker. <laughs> He's just kind of looking looking at me. I'm like, we have no problem. We have no quarrels, sir. I'm, I'm good, bro. Be, <laughs> I'll yeah. go this way. <laughs> I'm gonna go yeah. that way. <laughs> you chill, yeah, man. I don't, don't. I don't. I don't. Fuck it's like with it's a hopping life, bear, man. <laughs> yeah, screw that. Like when I lived in Canada, people people always would say like, I, it's, it's the strangest thing. Like I moved to a beach town, and I don't. I hate the beach. I don't go in the ocean because there's because mm. there's sharks there. I have this uh, I have this outside outsized fear of being eaten. Like I know it's it's almost a problem. Uh, it's 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 a logical. Fear, That's why he but, like, hates fat chicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, I don't I don't deal with that shit, man. So it's like I don't go in the ocean because there's sharks there, and I don't go. And when I was living in Canada, it's like people would go like, "Let's go camping in Algonquin Park." I'm like, "No, there's bears." And like. Your chance is getting eaten by a bear. I'm like, no, no, no. There's a chance. See, there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. <laughs> Anything above zero is a no for me. It's no, like not Jim Carrey, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yes, there's a chance. Nope. That's exactly See, what I was thinking, Tommy. Yeah. There's a 0% chance of me ever, be, ever being eaten by a bear because I don't go where the bears are. That's it. Like, I just don't, I don't go there. Well, so much for being masculine. We threw that right out. <laughs> no, that is masculine. That's being masculine. That's being masculine. That's just being smart, man. Like I pick my battles, sir. I don't. You have I don't to fuck with. The, you don't fuck with shit that could eat you. That's why I, I wouldn't go to three the, men and I don't a go feminist. To, I would never go to Detroit. I would never. You would never see me going like volunteering to go to Detroit. Like it would be like it's let's go funny, to Detroit. We, uh, How about no? We flew out know. to Colorado to to Estes Park, and uh, when we were flying out, my uncle was taking his golf bag because he, he plays golf out there, and I stuck my handgun in his golf bag. He's like, that's going to get flagged. I was like, no, they don't look at your, like, it's a golf bag. They look to make sure there's golf clubs in it, and then they just push it through. Like, they're not going through it to see if there's other stuff being smuggled through. He's mm -hmm. like, why are you even taking that? I was like, 
the last time we were out there, a bear literally rubbed against your back. Like you weren't paying attention and a bear walked right across your back. Like I'm going to take a gun. I do a lot of hiking and camping or like, you know, hiking and climbing and stuff while we're out here. I'm, I'm not going out there unarmed. This time. It's like, I learned my lesson last time when you had a bear, like if you were a better fisherman, you probably would have gotten mauled. Like, <laughs> standing in the stream just fishing and the bear just walks like right across his back and um i'd gone back up to the house like to grab nope. a camera trying to take a picture i was like and i yelled at him i was like do you see that bear he's like what bear i was like the one that literally walked like a foot away from you right by right behind you he's like are you serious i was like yes dude like <laughs> good thing you weren't catching anything so anyway we were uh whenever i went to south africa uh, to meet Beatrix's parents, we went to Kruger National Park, right? And the, it, it's it's such a cool experience because you're like driving through this park, and they just like the lions and elephants and everything are just kind of living out in nature. It's not it's nothing like a zoo. They tell you don't get out of your car, like it's dangerous. Don't get out of your car. And but we're we're about to leave, <laughs> and the speed limit in this place is like. I don't know, maybe five miles an hour. They do kil kilometers an hour. So I, so I don't know how to judge it, but it was, I think it was 15 kilometers an hour or something like that. But it was like five miles an hour. And so we're just like creeping. And Beatrice decided she was hot. So she's taking off her hoodie and she's driving, obviously, because she's a South African and, and has the license to drive on that side of the road. And she's she's trying to take her hoodie off and this wildebeest just jumps out and it hops out and it doesn't like jump out of the bush and like run across the road no this motherfucker hops out and into the middle of the road and looks at us like what bitch and then jumps sideways and she's she had to slam on her brakes going five miles an hour to not hit this son of a bitch because it jumped like directly in front of the car like i'm about to fuck you up <laughs> yeah, them wildebeest don't fuck around. <laughs> that shit was funny as hell, man. We laughed our asses off. I mean, other than seeing an elephant smash the car in front of us with its trunk, it was one of the funniest things I saw all day. Now Jason's never going to South Africa either. <laughs> oh, it wouldn't be. I, I've never been to South Africa, but it has nothing to do with the animals. <laughs> like, what, what or, has or, it, or it has or, to do or, with or animals, does. <laughs> or it does, yeah. <laughs> I was just, I was just before we jumped on uh, here, I was looking at one report. There's that now they're, they're, they're South Africans have taken to welding their electrical boxes, like, you know, the outside electrical boxes that feed electricity to the, to, yeah. to development or whatever. They've, they're welding them shut or putting them behind concrete barriers or electrifying them because people are breaking in and stealing all the equipment out of it. All the, the copper and shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, Man, they don't even know do where I'm from in Chicago. Fucking Dude. no. Well, give it, their, give it a well, Their unemployment yeah. rate, like, like their unemployment rate has been, it averages 35%. And so even the max of what you see um, in, in the United States, as far as unemployment around like seven, 8% when people start freaking out, nothing to nothing compared to South Africa. Like you'll just be, you'll be driving down the road and you'll just see some random, you'll just see some random fucking metal shack on the side of the road. And these people have taken like cans and pieces of tin and built themselves a little house right on the side of the road. And nobody says anything about it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just the the poverty there is is incredible. It's insane. Beatrix always laments. She's like, yeah, we went from a, a first world country in 1992 to a third world country in like 20 years. It sounds like a libertarian dream. No zoning restrictions. <laughs> Build whatever you want. Open, open borders. No contracts. No no state, essentially. Like <laughs> All right, so, so let's get to the uh, the topic. All right, yeah. So we're going to talk about something. Have we de- have we derailed you enough, Justin? Oh well, bring it back around. Yeah, I, we'll I tried in the chat last week and I couldn't do it, so now I'm on here. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Everybody, introduce yourselves real quick, and then we'll uh we'll uh, we'll talk about how many kids we've got, and and then we'll just kind of dive in from there. Why are you looking at me, Tommy? Because you're sexy. Yeah, but you're the older one, so you you go go. Oh, ahead you want me to start? Yeah, okay. yeah. Grandpa's I'm actually, first. I'm actually Grandpa's I'm actually first. the oldest. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually the oldest one in the room. Just Tommy looks older than me. That's oh the, that's okay. The idea. Yeah, I mean, because I've actually lived. Yeah, I left the you house. Lived a, you lived a full. I chose the. Le- I, I left the house. <laughs> Tommy fought bears. That's what it is. <laughs> this is what you look like when you run from bears your whole life. <laughs> while doing while doing meth, it's a very effective way of doing it. <laughs> Gives them speed. Just, yeah, get your a little bit of time. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'm Tommy Salmons, host of Year Zero podcast. Um, I have five kids, one granddaughter. She's four years old, will be four years old this year. Um, Hey, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. It's, you know, my, my experience as being a father has been uh, complicated, interesting, and uh, a lot of hard work. I've been through two divorces. And so in many, in many circumstances, I've had to raise my kids from afar and, and make sure that I'm able to um, give them the right, the right kind of advice in a very short period of time, uh, because I'm not able to be there every day, uh, due to circumstances around the life and divorces and, and how difficult that is for, uh, being a father and raising kids. Um, so, uh, so it's kind of a, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a strange scenario. It's very difficult. And if you've never experienced it, which, unfortunately 60% of fathers have, um, then you don't understand what it, what it means to try to, to fight with a bitter ex-wife and, and, and still be a part of your kids' lives and make sure that you're instilling some values and some discipline into those children as they're, as they're growing up. Jason, go. Um, Jason Marinchuk, uh, part co-host, part creator of the two-bit podcast, uh, home of friend or fed to the show, about questioning people's priors. Uh, yeah, I'm the father of one daughter that I know of anyways. Uh, she's two and a half. And the reason I'm, I'm Canadian by birth, moved out to uh, my wife's Australian. We moved out to Australia, Western Australia about two years ago, it'll be two years in July. Um, part, uh, mostly I would say, uh, to bring my daughter closer to my wife's family, which is quite large, was a lot larger than mine. Um, during COVID, when we were going to second lockdown, so in about October 2020, um, 
I one I had a spiritual revelation, but but uh, which led to me looking at my situation in Canada, going my ass is out way out in the wind, and um, and then figuring out the best way of defending and protecting my daughter. I figured that you know family is family is wealth, so uh, we bit that bullet and moved moved out moved out here, and I've been living with the freaking kangaroos ever since. But it's you know my the the benefits for my daughter are, are insane uh and there's just things we we can give we can provide for her here that we just weren't going to be able to do in montreal uh or in canada in general so it's uh it's sacrifice you know it's that's i think that's what i'll bring to the table in this conversation is understanding meaningful sacrifice um and and you just model that you know so you if you sacrifice justly uh then that's i think how we can correct this whole manhood crisis and masculinity crisis in in the west being willing to uh uproot and leave an entire continent is uh definitely definitely a move uh and a sacrificial one at that especially doing that for for a kid john tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll all kind of jump in yeah um I don't really have a lot to say. I got two kids, two daughters. Um, they're eight and ten, and uh, I live in Chicago. And I'm not really up to do, doing too much right now. I don't have any podcasts or anything like that going on. I am kind of working on one, um, but I'm a, I'm a plumber, and I'm an artist, so that takes up a lot of my time. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think for me the biggest thing, you know, especially having daughters, I think is um, showing my daughters how their husband's supposed to treat them you know so i treat my my wife the way that i want you know my daughter's future boyfriend husband whatever um to to treat them the same way you know and i think that's a big thing and a lot of it has to do with me actually you know not even explaining this stuff just doing it you know that's the best way in my opinion to do a lot of these things is to just do it don't even put anything on it just explain by your actions. Yep. Yeah, my dad, a- my dad made a comment to me when I graduated high school. And he said, you know, the hardest thing for me to ever learn was that you do as I do, not as I say. And so that's that's best you can do is lead by example. Yes, sir. And, and in like uh, for me and Tommy, both coming from being divorced and having kids and stuff. And then and then with my uh with my current marriage i also then got to bring on a couple stepkids as well so so trying to be a good father to them as well as having my kids half the time and and trying to be a good father to them during the time that i have them uh got two boys and three girls so taking it from both sides of of the parenting perspective as far as a as far as a father figure goes and model what a good husband and and father should look like for, for both of them. It's been really interesting. And especially like with the, the two older stepkids, um, their dad is not a great dude. Uh, my stepson, he left and doesn't even speak to his biological father at all. He, uh, when he was, getting married to his wife and and having our uh, our granddaughter he was trying to decide what name 
that they were going to take when they got married because he was not going to he was not going to carry his dad's name. He was mm-hmm. he was either going to take ours or or do a like a hyphenated name or something else. Uh, mm-hmm. So so trying to be a, a good father to a kid that <clears throat> I've had minimal exposure to over the last several years anyway, and who had come from a, a, a bad father figure and just trying to model a good one and him going into being a father himself. That's been challenging. Uh, and then my own son, uh, he takes after his, he takes after his mother a lot. And, and so, so that's, that's a struggle. And then having the girls too, and they're all very different personalities and it's uh yeah, it's, challenging is definitely the word i would use for for being a father uh let's what are some of the so i know we all have different challenges with the the different uh scenarios we're in be it australia or you know the third world country that is chicago uh, having daughters and and mixed mar- or uh mixed families and stuff like that what are some of the big takeaways that you've found uh through trying to ham fist your way through this fatherhood thing of like what are some of the like boil down a a really good like first step to trying to do fatherhood from a uh from you know from trying to be a um a man like actually being a man not being some uh because a lot of you know, we see in mainstream media, a lot of the fathers that are the way they're presented is either they're oafish. You get the, you know, the Peter Griffin or the, the Homer Simpson type of father figures that are that are really uh, goofy or dumb. Or you see them where they're just completely <laughs> neutered and have no spines like you don't see in modern media, a strong father figure very frequently represented. So what's a way that you've kind of figured out to be a strong father figure? So God's, God's virtues, God gives us virtues and those virtues and when they can be inverted, will turn into our passions. Uh, this is an orthodox framework. And one of those things that I sometimes often struggle with is anger or, you know, aggressiveness, let's say. <clears throat> Uh, which doesn't come through on the podcast too much, but in real life, it's a, it's a struggle. Um, but one of the things I think you can do is you can always trust your instincts because you're given these natural instincts, which can be righteous when put in the right position. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, my wife went through a very long labor with my daughter. And uh, when she was finally born, we they moved us from the theater to um to the recovery room and in that process of moving there when we got into the little room i immediately felt this instinct of like i started checking my sixes and nines and became very aware that if anyone came aggressively into that room or if i if i if i felt that my wife and child were in danger i knew i was prepared to 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 get violent right like i was going to end i was going to end somebody if you if you screwed with my my wife and child at that moment and it was a, and it was such a uh, a primal instinctual feeling that it almost caught me like my my civilized western brain caught it it was like ooh what's that <laughs> um and and there's been other instances of that as well where i think if you where society's 
trying to manipulate men and I have been doing this for a long time. And partly it started off, I think, with a with with a righteous idea that there were some savage men who beat their their wives and their kids. That's true. Uh, then the only the, to combat that, they started treating all men as potential predators and potential, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, violent human beings, which we are. And and there's and there's a right place for that, right? But it's it's about channeling that in the right direction and not being in denial of it. Because I think one of the things that that weakens men is this: you start playing internal contradictions with yourself, saying that you know my natural instinct to be protective of my of, of my family, physically protective of my family, or in other ways, is wrong. And when you start to accept that messaging, it starts screwing with everything else in your head because now you're in conflict with yourself. Uh, you, you got to kind of streamline that now going, no, no, that's right. I just need to know how I need to know how to use it or when to use it and not to always be on or never be on. It's got to be somewhere in between. Yeah. There's that saying that it's better to be a, a, uh, a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a battlefield, you know, and that's, and that's what it is, is like, you have to overcome yourself. You have to understand yourself and understand what, what your weaknesses and strong points are and then try to utilize every aspect of yourself. That's uh that's something that I'm really big into um, is just, you know, understanding, okay, this is my weakness. I'm going to try to, I, I, I'm not always going to be able to avoid it. So what I need to do is I need to create a space between myself and the action so that I won't do what I know, if I, if I had an instinctual moment, you know, right off the bat, I'm going to do it. So I think for me, it's just, you know, really understanding yourself and uh, being honest with yourself. If you, if, if you can't be honest with yourself, you can't do anything for anyone. Well, let's make this practical because like, this is something that I had to deal with a lot whenever I was being, being a divorced father, trying to figure out how to maneuver through these things and, and, and remain part of my child's lives. I had to deal with things such as, <clears throat> the amount of child support I was having to pay was, was cutting into my ability to see my children. Right. Like I, I would come to, I would come to places where it was, I could afford to pay my bills or I could afford gas to go pick up my kids and, and spend some time with my kids. And I had to make these choices. Right. And I had to do so in, in such a manner that was healthy for the child. Right. I had to make sure that the child was healthy. I know that like, especially with my first marriage, my first divorce, though my, with, when my second divorce went through those, those two children that were involved in that divorce were old enough to understand what was going on with the divorce. So it wasn't so difficult. Um, and, and, but with my first divorce, all those children, because I had gone to the military when my children were young, they, their mother raised them in a, in a position of propaganda. And they were talking evil about them, about me to the children. And so she was, she was telling them things and they would come back and tell me, well, mom says this about you. Now I had to make a decision right there. What's healthy for these children. It's not to be both parents are evil. So even though I had to kind of be the sacrificial lamb in the scenario, I could not lay out a scenario that made sense to me where I would talk evil about the mom, even though I wanted to, 
Like my instincts were to defend myself and fight back. But at the same time, I'm like, is that good for the kids? Does that do them any good? Well, and that's something that as my kids have gotten older and have a better understanding of what's going on just in with life in general. And now that we've moved past all of the, the ugliness that had taken up the better part of five to six years of, of, uh, of being divorced. Now that my kids are a little bit older, we, we do have conversations about like, this is like, this is what happened. This is how it all played out. Like, I don't, I don't hold anything back. I'm very open and honest with them. And that's, that's one of the things that I try to do with my kids to, to be a good father is I try to be very, very honest with them. Um, yeah, but, but my, my, when it's my scenario, but... well, what I was saying was like my scenario, an 11 year old daughter coming to you and saying, mama wishes you weren't around anymore so we could be a normal family. That is not an easy thing to maneuver, right? You're, you're having to deal with the child's emotions and in your own anger and how, how best to, how do I, how do I maneuver this and get through this barricade so that the child and, and, and my daughter up until she was about 19 years old and still to this day, it's a little bit kind of hit and miss with her because for 18 years she was being fed lies. All right. And so I kind of have to kind of maneuver through this and catch her on a good days and bad days and, and, and work through it. Now things are getting better. I have more of a relationship with my granddaughter now than I did the first two years of her life. Plage, plage. But it's a process and the child matures and they start seeing real life as, as Justin was saying, and things come there, but there's a maturity of being a man there. There's some of being a man is like, like Jason said, knowing when to fight and what is it? What's worth it? Like, am I getting short-term gains for long-term losses? I don't want that, you know? And so you have to be able to pick your battles, work through, you can't be emotional. You can't be over emotional. You can't let them, your emotions run you. You have to think about these things. You have to uh, have to kind of step back out outside of it and just accept like, Hey, we're men, we get hurt. Right. Physically. Like one of the things that I was like known for when I was in the military, when I was in high school playing sports, when I was in junior high playing football, like one of the things I was known for is I could take punishment physical punishment. Well, so I have to learn how to take the mental punishment, the emotional punishment. I have to learn how to take that. That's part of being a man is accepting it, absorbing it, moving on and not let it phase you. You can't let it phase you. You just got to keep going. Right. And so that's, that's a huge thing. That's something that, that men alone are built to do. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, it's funny because I'm I'm sitting here listening to you talk, Tommy, and uh, my parents got divorced when I was nine, and uh, both my parents got remarried, and my stepdad was a piece of shit and still is, and uh, my dad was a good dad. You know, he wasn't he wasn't like your manly man where like he could fix anything he touches and that kind of thing, um, but he was a good dad. You know, and uh, my stepdad was. Uh, everything that my dad wasn't, which is kind of funny because you you would think that 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 wouldn't have, uh, you know, my mom wouldn't have made the switch from, from bad to worse, mm. you know, now I can't say, you know, from a father's perspective, 
what that does, you know, mentally, but, you know, coming from, uh, a kid and then having both parents remarried. And now I got a new sister on this new brother on brother and sister on this side, a new sister on that side, half brother on this side. Now, you know, uh, I think one of the problems that I had or that, that my parents had was that, you know, I think, uh, Justin, you could, you could probably relate to this. It sounds like, um, there was that, that new period where my parents weren't together anymore and they were constantly fighting about just the dumbest shit all the time, you know? And, you know, my mom would try to get under my dad's skin. My stepdad would try to get under my dad's skin. Cops were being called all the time. Cause my dad is like, uh, just like you said, Jason, you know, like you, you get between me and my family, you know, I'm going to end something. You're going to, this ain't going to end good for you, you know? Um, but now, you know, this is fucking 30 years later, almost. Um, my parents are pretty good friends, you know? Um, and as the time went on, it got better and better, but that, that initial period, well, one thing my mom and my dad never did was talk bad about each other. Like Tommy was saying, you know, um, as much as I'm sure they wanted to, you know, and my dad did talk shit about my stepdad, but you know, with, with a uh, good reason, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was blessed in many ways where my, my mother and father divorced when I was quite young. Um, and I was raised by my, my mother's, uh, uh my, my mother's side. Um, like my last name is for my mom's side. Um, so my grandfather, her, her dad, um, stepped up and basically became my surrogate father. And it feeds into this whole thing of, of, you know, fixing masculinity is that I think there's a, something happened in the, somewhere in the the boomer 1960s 1970 generation and i'm not even saying it's down to the boomers i think it's it's bigger than that but this this sort of cowardliness kind of creeps in where men no longer step up and take responsibility even though it's not your responsibility like my grandfather didn't have to do that right like he i'm sure he, to him there was no choice but but it was still a choice uh you know and and I benefited because of it. And I think a lot of that, you know, talking about sacrifice and talking about meaningful sacrifice is that people are always looking for the payoff. Like, well, why am I going to do that? What does it, it do for me? It's like, it's it's not about material good, right? Sometimes it, sometimes it can even be to your determined. Like, it can, it can, like, it can be a lot more work and, and, and not benefit you uh, in the, in any kind of sense, but you are still doing the right thing. And by doing the right thing, that begets more right things. If you want to live in a world, in a high trust society, in a, in a world that reflects something good, then you have to be part of the good. Like, there's just no way around it. Uh, and we can, you know, yeah. Talking about your granddad, like, my wife has thanked me for being a good father figure to her kids. Uh, like the youngest one, her dad is his, he's around and he's in the picture that he, he's more the, you know, fun kind of a guy. Like he's, I, I'm the more like serious, um, you know, holding down a steady job presenting or, you know, being a, uh, I guess a role model type of a, a, a father figure. And, and, you know, for the older two, uh, with their dad being just a, he's a complete waste of oxygen. Um, and you know, with that, like I'm kind of 
the role model. And so I try to, to talk to the kids like they're mine and, and, and use the opportunities that come up in life to be a father figure and to teach and uh, to coach and, and to love them like a dad should. And she's like, thanked me for being, for doing that. I'm like, what else am I supposed to do? Like, it's, I don't know if it's just ingrained in me from um, having like a, a coaching background as well. And, and uh, having good coaches and good, strong male role model type of figures throughout my entire life that like, that's just been ingrained into me that that's my job is to be that figure for these kids, uh, whether they're, you know, biologically mine or not, they're my kids. And, and it's my job to be that for them and to them. So like talking about, you know, guys having that kind of a weaker position, how do we, how do we change that, uh, that narrative? Like, how do we get guys to start believing that like, it's your job, whether it's your, whether it's your biological kid or just some kid that you know that needs a strong role model. Like, how do we get guys to step up to that? And, and I think it's uh, having ha- having these conversations, right? Because because guys are constantly looking for meaning. Like you know, you know, as a man, we're constantly looking for meaning, for purpose, for for a task for an objective and to move forward. And so when they start hearing people that they can relate to, whether it would be Jordan Peterson, which is one of the best things he ever did was, was connect with young men who were in this desperate situation, no matter what you think of him politically from a psychological or uh, standpoint, he did a lot of good work. Right. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I keep thinking about the story and I, I feel like I should tell it because it it, 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 it it strikes me as being relevant to this, this subject. So when my youngest son was born, <clears throat> obviously he was in the hospital with his mom. I had to go back to work. I couldn't, I couldn't afford not to work. I, I was not in a position to take any time off. There was no such thing as paternity leave for a father <laughs> at this point in time. He, he's graduating this year. And so he was born 12 hours after he was born. He started vomiting blood in the middle of the night. It was almost to, to the moment, 12 hours after his birth, he started vomiting blood. And he just continued and continued and continued vomiting blood. And I remember I, I got up in the morning. I had my other son with me and I brought him to his grandparents. So his grandparents could watch him. I go to work. I go pick him up and I get there that afternoon. And this is when I find out. So we're talking about another nine hours later that I'm actually finding out that there's a health issue going on. So what did I do? I, well, I freaking went and saw my son. I held him. They had put him in a fresh, in fresh clothes. They had moved him back to the unit, to the maternity unit and put him in, in the little like, uh, cages. They got the little children in and, uh, I go sit back there 
because they wouldn't let him go back to my wife's room at my wife at the time. He, they wouldn't let him go back to that room. So they had me come back there and hold him. He starts vomiting blood all over me, all over himself. I still, my, I think my ex-wife still has that onesie actually. And he's vomiting all over the place. They ended up life flighting him to, uh, to uh, Memorial hospital downtown Houston children's hospital uh, into ICU, put him in the ICU unit. He was there for six days, vomiting blood. Now, what was I to do during this period? Was I to hang out with my wife and my mom and sit around the ICU waiting on whatever happened to happen? No, I, I went to work every morning. I got up, I'd go to sit at the hospital I'd go stay with them at the hotel that my mom had enough hotel points from her job. She got us a hotel room right across the street from, from the hospital in downtown Houston. I would go, I would stay at the hotel. They would give me updates because I wouldn't get off work in time to go see him in ICU. And then I would get up the next morning. I'd go to work and they would go hang out with him at the hospital all day long. I would come back and they would give me updates. And it was every day this was going on. Do you think emotionally it did not hurt me and, 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 and make me feel terrible that my son is vomiting blood constantly and I can't be with him? No, but I have a responsibility, right? As a man, my responsibility is not to nurture that child. My responsibility is to provide. I had to go to work. I had to make sure that the bills were paid. I had to make sure all this stuff was done so that my wife could stay at that hospital and nurture that child. I mean, the most incredible thing, six days, and then it stopped. And the doctors never figured out what was going on. Never had a health problem since. Not one. It's just the weirdest fucking thing. It's one of the He's weirdest things. Yeah, it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. And like, but, but, but that there, there is, I'm hammering forward that point that you have responsibility as a man. If well, there's a sector to be, of society that would say that you were being um, inconsiderate or unloving or something like that. But like, like you said, what else are you supposed to do? Yeah. Like you have to. The bills have to get paid. Am I supposed to not have a house? Am I not supposed to have a place to live now? Right. No, I had in, in expectation of this child getting better. I had to have a place to bed him and put him up, you know, and, and make sure there were, was food on the table. That was my job. I had four other kids. It wasn't just him. And so like I had to, I had to compartmentalize like the emotional impact of dealing with this going on with a child and still knowing I have this responsibility I have to take. Yeah. But one of my personal mantras, I think it dovetails into what you're talking to me is, uh, is, uh, get, get humble, stay, stay grateful and be useful. And that be useful part is, I think is key for a lot of guys to get, through their head is that you got to be be find find a use in any situation it's uh jordan peterson kind of talked about this in 12 rules for life uh where he's like you know be be the useful one at the funeral 
you know, like mm. uh, when everything else is going down and, and everyone else is, is emotionally compromised and all the rest of it, you, you're the one who's like doing stuff, like do some, do something. It doesn't have to be mass. It doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be game changing. It has to be useful <laughs> and, and standing around. If, if you're just dead weight at the hospital while others, while there's bills piling up and your other kids need, 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 need taken care of and all the rest of it, you're not being useful. You know, you, there's other people can do that and you need to figure out what the thing that you can do that they can't at that moment. You know? Right. That's exactly right. That's kind of what I was talking about when, when you need to, you know, figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are for that reason. You know, where are you? You're useful somewhere always. It's just the more you know about yourself, the more you understand where that use is. Mm. Um, and with the kids, you know, I see I'm kind of in between where I will sometimes stay home from work and hang out with the kids and, and you know, take care of the kids and, you know, take them to the doctor's appointments, this and that, because my wife works too. Mm. So, you know, but I also, I, I work my ass off, you know, and I, I work for three different companies that I subcontract for. I work for myself as well. So I'm always busy and I don't mm. always need to be working. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sometimes it's more important for me because, you know, we get our health insurance through my wife. Mm. I just bring in a lot of money, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's what I do. And, um, so sometimes it's, it's more beneficial for me to, uh, leave work and do that kind of thing, because I know I'm going to pick it up on the back end. Right. You know, the other thing is my wife, well, before the pandemic, not so much recently, but my, my wife travels for work. She'll go to China for like a month. And, you know, then I'm, I'm with the kids, just me, me and my kids. And, uh, I do have a good support system as far as like my, my, my in-laws go, my mother-in-law drops whatever she's doing if, if we need her to, you know? Um, but so I think that's another important thing is, is showing, showing your kids that it's all right to accept help when you need it. Yeah. And I, and I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a man like taking off work to spend time with their children. That's not what I'm saying. No, I knew that. What I'm saying in in that, well, this is for the audience more than you, John, I know you knew that, but, uh, but in that instance with my wife being so devastated, my, my kid was losing twice the amount of blood of an infant every day. And, and through transfusions were keeping him alive for, for six days. She was devastated. I was the only thing driving any sort of normalcy and in making sure that our life was somewhat together at this time. You know, my mom was there with her spending the time with my mom had the, the vacation, the ability to take off and spend the time with the wife and sit in the ICU for six days. I didn't, I had to work. I had to pay the bills. I had to keep things together. I, I kind of was holding the whole thing together on my own. And so <clears throat> what I'm, what I'm saying is that I had to overcome my emotional, like, mental state in order to make sure that everything stayed together. Right? Remember that, that, that one conversation we have and I, or me and you had Tommy and I was talking to you about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. That's exactly yes. the kind of shit I'm talking about because yes. if you can't, if you can't, there's always going to be a point in your life where you're, you have no choice but to be uncomfortable. Right. And if you can't deal with it, you're going to, 
you're going to be useless <clears throat> to yourself and, and, and everyone around you. Right. And right. so that's why, like I was telling you in that, that, that previous conversation that we had is like, what I tell my kids is like, look, you, you got to learn to be uncomfortable sometimes. If you can't, you're not always going to be comfortable and there's times you're not going to be able to do anything about it. So what I do is like, I even go so far as to like find myself in uncomfortable situations so that I can, um, just practice being uncomfortable. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a plumber. That's pretty uncomfortable. A lot it's of times, you know, uncomfortable. <laughs> it, you know, I'm, I got shit all over my other people. I don't shit even all like over my own shit, let alone other right. people's, <laughs> you know, in the winter with frozen pipes, you know, my, I'm right. soaking wet. My tools are sticking to my hands cause they're frozen. And you know, it's that kind of shit, you know? Yeah. And if I wasn't able to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, <clears> I, I wouldn't be able to do what I need to do. Uh, but the kids see that too. You know, everyone's dad, I'm hungry. I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah, Dad, I'm hungry. No, you're not. You only told me one time, and you just told me you ain't hungry because I, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to make you some food. I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to eat it. You know, so I'm like, you, you know, c- come back when you're actually hungry. Yeah. You know, and, they, and, and you know, everyone everyone that I see, you know, my my in-laws and my mom and everyone, they're like, what the, you're, you're messing up the kid? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm teaching them that just they need to be bored. You don't need to eat. Right, exactly. Yeah, boredom it, is not hunger. Like, it's too different. Exactly. Things. Well, that's one of those things that I, th- I think as men, we are uniquely positioned to because because women tend to have a more natural instinct towards the nurturing side of things. Not that men aren't nurturing in in certain ways, but when my kids complain about something, my initial response is, OK, get the fuck over it. Like, why are you crying? What's yeah, wrong? Is it, yeah. Like, is it really that fucking bad? It's like if you can't if you can't explain to me in one sentence or less like what's wrong, then there's nothing wrong with you. You're just having a bad time. You need to suck it up and move on with life. And you're you're hurt, not injured. Like go on. Right, exactly. And and, and I've had this conversation with my son. My my son is incredibly soft. I I'm working on it, but he his um his mother has had a a much more significant influence on him over the years than I have for whatever reason. Uh, the girls on the other hand are my clones. Like even the ones that aren't biologically mine, they're still mine. Um, and they are, they're hard asses, but mm. my son has somehow come out incredibly soft. And so we're working on that. And, and like we, we deal with that frequently. The you're hurt, not injured. <clears throat> you're, you need to just suck it up and move on with life. Mm. Uh, and and if he goes back and he knows this, and that's at least a, a portion of why he is the way he is, is because he knows if he goes back to his mom and he tells her the exact same thing that he just told me, well, she's going to take him to the doctor and she's going to get him you know, checked out for all of this stuff that there's absolutely nothing wrong with him. He just wants fucking attention and to get out of doing whatever it is he didn't want didn't want to do. My, my daughters, on the other hand, see that behavior and they say he's a pussy and we'll call him that to his face. Uh, I'm like, you are a, a little bit young to be using that language. Let's tone it down a little bit. You're 100% right. Thank you for calling him out. Um, so, so and like, it stings coming from sisters too, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> so, so, you know, like we're, like I said, we're working on it. We're, we're going to bully him out of being a pussy. And, uh, and, and it's tough. Because like we are uniquely positioned for that, and and as a man, knowing that 
<clears throat> the things that he's complaining about, I went through as a young boy too. Like he's just being a sissy. He's growing and he's having growing pains and he mm. just needs to get over it. Uh, like, cause uh, he's 14 and he's six two, 250 pounds. Like yeah. he's a big fucking That's a big kid. boy. Charlie horses are going to happen, brother. You got to get over it, bro. Right. You're going to, your knees are going to hurt. Your ankles are going to hurt. You've grown a, you've grown a lot. Like that's life. You need to get outside and fucking work and work it off and get your body used to being that size, not cry about it. And, you know, uh, have your mom take you to be tested for juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and all of this other bullshit, which I'm, I know that runs in his mom's side of the family, but that's not what he's got. And it doesn't take a medical degree to see that he's grown four inches well, in the last year. <laughs> but, here's, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even if he does, even if he do, did have a, a condition or whatever, so what? Like, you still got to work through it. You still got to live your, your rest of your life. You still right. got to be able to do things. Like Right. You're going to uh, have to be a contributing member of society, whether you have that or not. So, like, at some point, you're going to have to learn to suck it the fuck up and and stop being a pussy and your and your sisters are right for for calling you out on it. I do agree with that, but I also think that a lot of a lot of the the lack of masculinity is uh being shying away from your emotions and and telling them to stuff them down and everything like that. You know, I think uh, uh a lot of kids especially <clears throat> boys, but I you know, just kids in general they're they're not meant to do the things that adults want them to do. Sit down, shut up for eight hours. Oh yeah, um, you know, sure. be quiet. You know, if you have a problem, you just have to deal with it, and that's good. And you need to do that, but you also need to understand your feelings and and what it is about them that's making life even harder. Because a lot, I think a lot mm-hmm. of times, especially when the like the mascul the to- toxic masculinity and that kind of thing, they always talk about. You know, I don't I don't completely disagree. Like I. Obviously, they're shitheads, right? Um, we would call them shitheads. We don't need to put a fucking scientific name on it. But a lot of that stems from the fact that boys are te- are taught to uh, not consider their feelings and not understand. You're basically cutting a whole other half of yourself off. That's why a lot of guys right now, you know, are are really into like the the religious aspect of things because they they. Up until recently, when we had this this shakeup of of just life in general with the pandemic, we were always taught about logic, reason, facts, and all that kind of thing. And we were kind of the the metaphysical or the um, intuitive side of your your being is is swept under the rug and like uh, taught taught out of you, basically. So I think a lot of it has to do with that as well. You have to know your feelings. Uh, the more you can do that, the more you can control yourself. You can control your emotions if you know why you're feeling the way you're feeling. So it's not well, to say is- that that you shouldn't. You 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 definitely have to suck suck it up, right? You definitely have to just keep moving, but acknowledge why you feel a certain way first. Divorce. Is- yeah. It, well, it's um, it, it's it's knowing it's knowing how to deal with your emotions. It's not necessarily not having emotions, which a lot of a lot of people try to make it sound like, oh, well, uh, men don't want you to have emotions. That's not it. We want you to you have to learn how to deal with it and still function. Like you can't let your emotions run you. That's we have exactly that class right. of people. They're called women. Right. And, and so we don't need a bunch of freaking Dylan Mulvaney's. Right. Who's we that? Need, we need uh, it's that 
freaking fake woman that Bud Light woman. Oh, I was I was making a joke. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I killed it. John doesn't. I'll shut up. No John's like, I don't follow the news. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> but no, we don't need. This is, a bunch this is of why people. I like John so much. <laughs> oh no, I love John. John's one of my favorite Thanks, people. Thanks, guys. In the world. Appreciate it. But uh, we don't we don't need a bunch of fucking like <laughs> feminized beta males, right? We don't need a bunch of dudes that are running their life off emotion. We need guys that are saying, okay, I feel this way. It sucks. Oh, but look, there's a task to be done. I'll deal with that later. I got something to do and, and go and do it. And, and I think, uh, who was, it was saying earlier that there's, there's a role for men to be nurturing. Well, I got to, I have a story about that too. I have five kids. I've, I've been involved. I know what it means. All right. So, um, my, my third, yeah, my third boy, Talon, he, um, uh, <clears throat> when we brought him home from the hospital, his circumcision, like kind of got jacked up and it wasn't bad. It wasn't anything horrible, but the gauze, it, it had caught the caused the gauze because there was so much fluid. It caused the gauze to eat into the head of his pecker. And when my wife went to try to change the gauze, when she was changing his diaper, he started screaming and she couldn't remove the gauze. So who was it up to? It was up to me. Cause I'm the one with the stomach. I'm the one that can do these things and look at, like horrid freaking details and go, okay, this is what we have to do. To and you're the one with a pecker of your own. So you know how to be gentle with one. Right. Exactly. What There was no being gentle with it, man. It was, it was horrible, man. I felt, <laughs> I felt so terrible, man. It looked like a spider web across his fucking dick. It, it, it just made me feel so bad. Uh, but, but it was something that I had to do. And I had to take that and I had to use, you know, I had to be gentle and fucking caring and not fucking like tear his dick off while I'm trying to get this gauze out of it, you know? And so like men have that ability. It's not that we don't have that ability. It's just that that ability is safe for penises, I guess. Um, but <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry to be God is down there fucking dying. I can't even continue the story because, of, but it was it was gruesome, man. It was it was horrible. I felt horrible for the kid, two days old, screaming bloody murder, having the fucking flesh of his dick torn off <laughs> from the gauze that the doctor used. It was just terrible, man. And I and it took a, over a week for me to to get it like with Neosporin and using like like the right type of gauze to get it to fucking heal properly because it was just fucking horrible. Dude, you know, he turned I out know fine. that feeling. I know that feeling like from, you know, I, I ripped, I almost ripped off my, one of my fingers a couple of years ago. Mm. And the same thing happened to me when I, when I had the surgery and everything I took, when I went to take the gauze off, mm. it wouldn't fucking come off. So, you know, I had to do it myself, but dude, I that's why I was laughing so hard because I'm like, man, I'm so glad it wasn't my dick. I've never seen somebody be so happy about somebody's dick being hurt. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was this finger right here, and uh, yeah, it was it was bad. But you know, I, I'm sitting here hearing you talk about the gauze stuck. I'm like, man, I know that feeling. Yeah, 
No, so it was it was dick. bad. It was bad. It it sucked, man. And you know, I hated doing it because I knew it hurt him. But it was like I can't leave it because you know it's going to hurt him more if it's going it. to be worse, right? And right. so I had to. And his mom mom wouldn't do it. She was just like, I don't have a dick. I don't know what to do with this thing. And it was like, all right, well, fucking give give the child to me. Now, how many kids Damn did you have with her? And she said she didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> well, this was our first. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was the it was the first with this one. It was it was my third kid. Well, my fourth. But it was it was her first. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So with that, the uh, the need for firm but gentle. Uh, in handling certain things that actually brings up a good question that was asked over on rumble in the chat. Mm -hmm. Uh, what y'all's thoughts are on peaceful parenting and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, when my kids were younger, I was not very big on it and I'm still not big on it. I, uh, I actually rough my kids up pretty regularly, but not in a, uh, not in like a disciplinary way, just in a, like, you should be prepared to get hip checked into a no, wall. Let's, let's fight. Because, life yeah. is, because that's how life is. So like, Every every it? time I see my boys, they're they're in their well, except for my youngest, they're almost all of them are in their twenties. Every time I see them, I hit them in the chest. I just punch them in the chest. It's like I don't want them to not know what it feels like to get hit. You know what like I'm saying? My son, my son, I'll just like I'll just punch him in the shoulder or knock him down from time to time. He's like, why? Why'd you do that? I'm like, because you look too comfortable. Like, you need yeah. to get knocked around from that. <laughs> like, time. life sucks, man. You know how many like, times I've been, hit, I've been hitting the head with freaking crane hooks and shit like that? Like, you got to know how to take a fucking punch, man. Like, I, I don't give a that. shit about your peaceful parenting bullshit. Who cares? I mean, <clears throat> like, fuck you, man. <laughs> I haven't really looked in enough into it enough to know. You know what? You know what, what peaceful is. parenting does? It creates a bunch of trans men, like, trans women. Like, fuck you. I don't care. Yeah, I, I don't even know what that is, uh, really. I just know that it's something that a lot of people some talk gay about. Libertarian I, I never really looked into it. You know, it's like peaceful parenting. Yeah, I I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It just never made sense to me enough to look into I it. Think, now, I, I will say, like, I don't hit my kids, you know, but I don't need to. They listen. Right. You know, and they listen I, because I was, here, you know, but I don't have boys. If I had boys, it might be a different story. My dad well, whooped the shit out of me when I was younger, you know. Well, here, here's here's the story I always tell about about my youngest son, right? Like all my other kids, I I'd spank them every once in a while. It was rare. It it it, it, it did. They weren't in trouble a lot. It was rare. By the time they were like 10, 9, 10 years old, I never had to get on to them. They were good kids. They just they understood. They they were disciplined. They understood. They got it right. My youngest son, on the other hand, was a wild motherfucker. All right. I don't know if it was the vomiting blood incident when he was an infant. I don't know. I don't know what caused it. Probably because he was my kid and I was a wild motherfucker. But he was a wild son of a bitch. And it came to a point where I was having to spank him about five to six times every night. And whenever it got to that point, I started feeling bad. And I realized this isn't working. I have to do something different. So what did I do? I didn't know anything about peaceful parenting. I didn't know anything about that. I just knew that the way I was disciplining him wasn't working. So what did I do? I started do, having him do PT. 
I'd put him in the push-up position. I'd have him do the electric chair on the wall for, you know, like five minutes until his legs were shaking and collapsed. And you know what happened? He stopped getting in trouble. Two months later, he comes to me. He says, Dad, we haven't done PT in a while. And I was like, yeah, because you hadn't gotten any trouble. He's like, well, shit, I want to do the push-up position. I was like, well, then do it. And he got down into the push-up position. He stood there until he couldn't hold himself up, and he fell on his face. You know, And you know what? It worked for that kid. But it doesn't mean it works for every kid. My other kids, I didn't have to spank very often. I just threaten them. I just look at them. And they would be like, okay, my bad. We're done. And like by the time they were 10 years old, I never had to fuck with them. I didn't have to correct them. They were, they were pretty much, they, they understood what the rules were and they went by the rules and everything was good. He was the only one I had an issue with. I had to change up my tactics, but I had to change up my tactics because the original tactics weren't working. Right. So I think wait, it's like, is that peaceful parenting? Like you don't yell at your kids, you don't hit them and all that kind of stuff. Is that basically what it is? More or less. Yeah. yeah don't I mean, I, I, whoever I, made that I, shit I, never I, had kids. Right. <laughs> you, know, you need to yell at them sometimes, you know, it's like, it's like having tools in your toolbox, you know, you don't have to yell them all to yell at them all the time. They're not going to give a shit about anything you have to say, but they know, Oh shit. Dad's yelling. Yeah. You probably did something you shouldn't be doing, you know? So yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you get, you got to yell at your kids every once in a while. Yeah, I think that like the general concept of it is you you don't raise your voice, you don't get aggressive, you don't hit your kids or anything like that. And it's like, uh, like okay, so now we let the kid know that they're the ones who's pulling the strings and they're the ones who are in control. Like my daughter, uh, spanking didn't work, and I figured that out at a very young age with her. It's like if you do that, I'm going to whoop your butt. And she looked me dead in the eyes, turned, stuck her little ass out reached her hand up, smacked herself, and went and did it anyway. It was like, okay, so obviously we have to figure right. out. Yeah. <laughs> the, the threat of a spanking does not work. Yes. Um, whereas my son, like when he was younger, the threat of a spanking was all it took. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Like, please don't do this to me. And and he would he would behave. So, But then as we've gotten older, now he doesn't respond to, to that in the same way. So... We had to had to take to to different uh, forms of punishment and ways of getting a response. And my daughter, I have absolutely no problems with. She's uh, just a dream child, which I assume means that she's probably doing a really good job of hiding all the things she's not. <laughs> and, she's got you wrapped around her little fingers. What it means? And I've been very clear with her. I'm like, look, if you're doing some shady shit, just like continue to not let me find out about it and we're all good like <laughs> you know that's I, that's the kind of kid that i was i didn't get disciplined a lot because i figured out how to be careful about what i did and not get caught with anything oh, man. I wasn't supposed to be my doing, mom so. would my mom would throw cans of food at me at the grocery store <laughs> yeah if you know what it, it was it's funny because like growing up like i did like i was i grew up through the 80s right so it was like if i was like causing a scene in public I would do it on the bread aisle because I knew whatever I was getting hit with was soft, you know, like cause they parents just grabbed whatever was handy and they hit you with it. Dude. I can't like, tell you how many times my mom hit me with the metal lunchbox. Pussies, man. <laughs> I used to, we used to sit at the, the table, the dining room table and do homework, you know, when we got home from school and right. I was making fun of my little sister all the time. And, uh, my mom would be in the other room making dinner or whatever. She said, John, stop fucking with your sister. I'm like, okay. And then I'd start doing it quiet. 
And she would whatever whatever she was she grabbed as she was walking up to me and whack right in the side of my head every damn time. <laughs> That's the way you it know, works. Spoons, <laughs> metal lunch boxes. She'd take her fucking shoe off. You know whatever. <laughs> Sinbad, uh, Sinbad used to have a, a comedy bit about it. Uh, about like you wanted to be careful what what aisle of the grocery store you got in trouble on. But it was true. That's why it was so fucking funny because it was true. If you were on the fucking the the vegetable aisle, the canned vegetable aisle, you were gonna get hit in the head with a with a can of vegetables. That's why some of those yeah, canned vegetables had dents in them. <laughs> I uh, I was never I, I never had any corporal punishment growing up, but uh, on the from where I was from my in my family. Yeah, well, that's because you grew up in Canada. Yeah, or like well no but also hang on but, but grandfather had, <laughs> they just make you go outside in the winter yeah they just yeah, make you stand out in the with, cold naked with no with no jacket yeah and, and to, to get through. um what's a little no, frostbite on the little pee pee bubba <laughs> you got to some sort of weird pee pee thing going on in this conversation man i don't know <laughs> we're talking about masculinity well, well if you're naked yeah. out in the winter in freaking canada i'm sure you're gonna get frostbite on your little pee pee bubba <laughs> this is true um <laughs> growing up my grandfather had stories of like because you know of really old school corporal punishment like i remember him saying his 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 father would make him uh roll up his pant legs above the knee and then kneel on kernels of corn until they kind mm. of buried themselves into the skin yep rice um, you know yep. yeah whipping whipping a story about his his father whipping the crap out of one of his brothers with a you know they were laying electrical wire for the uh, hydro lines and picked that up and just slashed them across the back shit like that right mm. so there was that extreme so i was kind of raised outside of that um yeah and because uh, i think there's an awareness of like it can get dark, right? Uh, we're not just talking like you know, smacking your kid with a, with a shoe. Like, you know, male violence can can get into weird into yeah. weird places. Right. Uh, and I have a personally, I have a you know, two two and a half year old daughter. So it's just it's a different situation um, entirely. But uh, I think it really comes down to to modeling because one of the things we're talking about here is like it's foundational, right? Uh, when you give your kids the right foundations, it's, and that's not saying that you, should, you don't need to discipline them. I, I yell at my daughter all the time, but, uh, but it's through that foundation that you kind of don't have to worry about them as much as they grow up. Because if you have, if they have a principled foundation, right. then, mm. you know, yeah, they're going to do stupid shit. Like they're going to, they're going to, they're going to have to, you're, you're going to have to let them learn because that's how you <laughs> or me or anyone else, like, got to this point and right that's you know, what i, I was saying after the age of 10 yeah. i never really had to discipline my kids yeah right you know you know that's it's funny that you say that i'm sorry go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry jason i was just making that point like, no no that's that's it i did have a good foundation you know we we my my family was good um and then i got older and you know a lot of my friends growing up in the neighborhood a lot of my friends turned turned out to be gangbangers and that kind of thing you know and i've known these kids my whole damn life and I wasn't just going to stop hanging out with them. You know, I never was a gay, I was never in gangs myself, but I, I, you know, these were like my, you, you know how it is. You got to think about any of the friends that you had growing up and all the shit they used to do. And now all of a sudden there's this change, you know, we got into high school. Some of them started being gangbangers and that kind of thing. Mm. And, um, you know, but I knew with the foundation thing, you know, I knew, okay, shit's about to go down or they're about to do something stupid. I'm, I'm gone. 
yeah. you know, and I, and I left, you know, and, and if I, and if I didn't have that from my, my dad in particular, um, I probably would have been one of those shitheads, you know? Yeah. And I was it, some ways, but not, not as bad as, as, as I could have been. I mean, my dad, I, I, I got, I got in trouble with, with my dad and there was, there were spankings and like, but nothing over the top. I remember the last time I was ever spanked. It was, it was, it was kind of comical to me. I was about, I think I was like 13, 12, 13 years old, something like that. And my mom brought me into the bedroom, lean me over the bed. And my dad used to have this, this belt that had these pennies like throughout the belt. They were, they were, uh, they were wheat pennies. Remember those old wheat pennies? It, so this belt had these wheat pennies in, like instilled in, in the leather. And my mom smacked me with it once and I started laughing. And she goes, well, I guess spanking's not working anymore. And just kind of sent me out of the room and grounded me for a week. And that was that. It was like the last time I got my ass whooped, you know, by one of my parents. But, but so um, I, I think when I was like 14, my dad and I got in a fist fight. Like full, full out, full blown fist fight. And he kicked my ass. But we got in a fist fight. But, but that's just part of being a, a boy, being a man, and like coming into your own. You you go through these stages and and you get your ass beat. And you know, most of the time you deserve it, man. Well, so it's the experience too. You yeah. know, you, you build up enough experience and you when when you're older, you'd be like you might not realize it at the time, but you know, there'll come a, a, a situation where you see your kid in the same thing, you're like, Oh, okay, that's why I went through that shit. Yeah. Well, the funniest thing was it was it was the funniest shit. My my dad and I were literally fighting in his bedroom and, and just going back and forth and beating the shit out of each other. And and my mom comes, she gets home in the middle of this and comes walking down the hallway and goes, What are y'all doing? And we both at the same time stop and look at her and go, playing. <laughs> I remember a, a a buddy of mine. His dad worked night shift at Goodyear, and so he'd be home sleeping during the day. And we were over at the house, at their house, swimming in the pool and stuff. We came inside, and he and his brother, uh, we were in, I guess we were in eighth grade. It was the summer between our seventh and eighth grade year, maybe the summer between our eighth grade and freshman year. And uh, his brother was going to be a senior. And and so we came back in the house, and the two of them got to, like, talking shit and roughhousing. And they woke their dad up, and he just comes, like, running out of the bedroom and tackles both of them to the floor and just starts beating the ever loving hell out of them. And I'm jumping over chairs and couches and just trying to stay the hell out of the way while it's like full on WrestleMania. And he's just beating the shit out of them. And then he gets done and both of them are just like laid out on the floor and he's like, Hey, Justin, can I get you anything to eat? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I've seen enough. Um, like, you know, and that was, that was not unusual. Um, like, so this, and, and, you know, for the rest of our time in high school, my buddy never woke his dad up when he was at home sleeping during the day. So yeah, you, know, right. you learn you learn valuable life lessons sometimes in a hard way, uh, you know, and some of us need to like run face first into something and smack our heads. And other times we need somebody to knock our head into that thing and, right. and to pick up on the lesson. Uh, right. My mom, I have no recollection of it, probably because I was concussed <laughs> from the event. 
but my aunts all remember it very vividly that me and my brother were doing something like just completely being dumbass, horrible little fucking kids. And mom grabbed us by the heads and just smacked our heads <laughs> together. And like me and my brother have absolutely no recollection of this, uh, but our aunts like that's, remember it vividly. And apparently, that's whatever the what's the CTE we talking. So it it resonated on some like deeper level <laughs> the memory of getting our heads clacked together. Um, yeah. But also our our aunts like then knew what was also unacceptable for us to do. So we never did that kind of shit with them either. Uh, so you know. I, yeah, I don't know. It, I'm not a big peaceful parenting guy just because like there there's there's a level. I mean, there are limits, right there. I mean, like you don't just go start beating your child for no good reason. Right. It's not <laughs> it's not the go to, you know, yelling, yeah. yelling and hitting is not the go to. Yeah, that's it, like it definitely short. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't completely eliminate it from my repertoire. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like if I'm and my kids know that too. Like if we I parent like where, Donald Trump is a president, nothing's off the table. Like, <laughs> and my kids know that. Like if we've hit the point where it's time for you to get your ass whooped, you've you know, like you've seriously fucked up, and now you get to reflect on what you did, and and also as and, my foot know, goes up your ass, right? But, <laughs> Yeah. Like you know, well, that's here's a, that's here's a fault, but but that's also you know that's the last tool in the toolbox. I mean, and, the la- right. what what the worst thing my dad my my dad ever did to me. I was about I guess maybe 10, 11 years old, and he slapped me upside the back of the head. You know why he slapped? You know why he slapped me upside the back of the head? Are you are you because I pushed my my six year old brother down concrete stairs from the second story of an apartment building? I also (laughs) threw him out of a window of the same apartment. Like, yeah, I probably deserve to get slapped upside the back of my head. I th- I thought I I thought this would end somewhere with with some sort of pee pee thing like just like smacking the <laughs> smacking the dick. Well, it, no, my dad that... never touched my dick. Thank you very much. <laughs> not the dick thing, but the violence thing is something that's kind of unique to to boys and men as well. Is like my brother and I would beat the hell out of each other, and you know, dad would roughhouse with us, uh, and and like that's a good thing. And so I, you know, I roughhouse with my kids, specifically with my son, but also like uh, sometimes the girls mm-hmm. need to be roughed up a little bit. They get oh, a little yeah. comfortable with being, you know, with thinking they run oh, shit. Oh yeah, I, th- I throw my daughter around all the time. I started watching wrestling with my my girls. Um, I was a big, you know, Same. when I was younger, I was like a big big wrestling fan stone cold was my favorite you know so I, I i'm going on youtube and finding like all the old pay-per-views and shit that i used to watch when i was a kid and you know all oh, you girls you gotta watch this one you know and they would sit there hey dad how do we do that how do we do that stone cold stunner you know how do we do the sharpshooter you know all, all that kind of thing and you know yeah you gotta you gotta rough house with the kids oh man i'd rough house like a motherfucker i had i actually taught my boys to climb up on the couch and jump off the couch and just double knee drop right on my gut. And so like I'm wrestling with them one 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 day and we're like I'm throwing them over the couch and they're bouncing off the couch, you know, and rolling onto the floor and we're just jacking around like that and one of them climbs up onto the top of the couch and as I get the younger one off of me and I'm holding them up like this, 
he jumps off just two knees right in my gut. And so I drop his brother and I act like I died. That kid panicked. He fell down next to me crying. Daddy, I'm sorry. Daddy, I'm sorry. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like, okay, there are limits. <laughs> My daughter took up wrestling this year. She joined the, the junior high wrestling team. So, oh, so, I- getting to, so getting to teach her stuff, like, I don't know shit about wrestling, but I know about, like, foot positioning and stuff like that from football and basketball. Teach her a single leg, man. That single leg is the thing to do. Like I know, I know about, I know about center of gravity and how to get low and and how to counter people's moves when they when they do stuff. So so getting to kind of talk to her and and watch her learn how to do that stuff has been a lot of fun. And that's something where I get to bring a a more uh, a more masculine approach to certain things and and teach her things that she's uh, she has a really good coach. Like her her coach is excellent, but she's gonna listen to me tell her certain stuff more so than she's going to listen to some other, you know, some other dude, even, even though he's the coach, like I'm dad. And and that's another thing. So I wanted to kind of close on, on the educational side of stuff. Uh, I, I'm sure to like my kids go to public school and, you know, we've all heard the don't send your kids to public school, the room brainwash them. Like if you're doing your job as a dad, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, that's exactly right. I, it's funny. Cause I, uh, I was just talking to one of the guys. I can't remember his name, but he he came to he he's one of the guys on Twitter that we always see. He, turns out he lives in the neighborhood. He came over to uh, my art show. I, I had a bunch of my art in a gallery. He came in and you know we were talking about exactly that, you know. And I, I told him I was like, you know, yeah, I might not agree with that shit, but if I'm doing my job, it doesn't matter what the fuck they're saying over there. I'm like, so I'm the same way. My kids go to public school, you know, and. I don't see anything wrong with it because of me and my wife. There's that we taught them. There's that Liz Finnegan story. Have y'all seen that? I shared that in the chat. No. Did you you see that, Justin? Oh yeah, we talked. We we familiar. Familiar. We talked about it about the the little girl that was sexually assaulted in sixth grade by a classmate, and then she then when she went forward and talked to her counselor about it. She was abused. Uh, she was bullied, and and they were like, like damn near drove her to suicide. And every time her parents would, uh, um, they would they would address the school board. The school board would try to cover it up. The school board tried started trying to get her to change her schedule and and the way that she went about school instead of dealing with the people that were like were perpetrating the violence upon her. And it's fucked up because it's like. That is the fear everybody has about public school, right? You know, it's kind of unwarranted in a way because don't exhibit prey behavior and predators won't fucking attack you. Yeah, but this you know? kid was a, like a special needs student. And I'm not saying that, I'm not blaming that kid in particular or anyone really, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, that's one of the things I always tell my kids is like, listen, don't give anyone a reason. There's <laughs> bad people. Don't give them a reason to think that they can pull one over on you. Right. Yeah. The, the yeah. unfortunate no, thing I, is there was this kid with special needs. And and like I don't I don't remember exactly what was wrong with her, but there was something wrong with her. Yeah. And so she was being abused. Like they were sexual, like this, she was being sexually assaulted by other girls in in junior high. I mean, it was it was it's a fucking disgusting story. 
Yeah, it sounds to, like to, it. to your point, though, to your point, and 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 John, and I think you know, in in a normative case, like what do you do, right? Because uh, there there is that fear out there. And the the biggest fear right now that I have, I think that, and I think that anyone who's a decent father has, is that they're they're taking the authority away from you, where they could just take your child. If some shitty ass uh, teacher who with an axe to grind decides your kid's going to be the trans kid in the class. <laughs> Then they can start doing stuff to you legally that you're that puts you in a in a very very difficult place. They could try um, all they want. The thing is, well, what I'm saying have, is that the, well, here's, so that's, that's a reality for a lot of people, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But what I'm saying is, like, if you're doing your job, that one teacher isn't going to outweigh all the fucking people that will come come to bat for you. Yeah. Well, and that was kind of the story with so when Johnny sh- or when Tommy shared that. Uh, you know, I talked about how we had something similar, not near to that extent, but uh, my stepdaughter's best friend was getting severely bullied by a couple kids at the school. And so uh, when we found out that like she had gone to the principal multiple times and the principal wasn't doing anything about it, the school wasn't doing anything about it. It's like, give me all the screenshots. Give me everything you got, like the emails that you sent to the principal, the screenshots of the mess, the text messages and the stuff that these girls have been sending, like everything. Send it all to me. And I put it on full blast on Facebook, tag the school, tag the principal, tagged everybody, found people in the community that are, you know, kind of shit stirs and got them to share it and got them to comment on it and got them to tag the school and the principal in it. And I started this whole thing on a Friday morning. And by the end of the weekend, I had parents of both the kids who were doing the bullying reached out to me. Uh, the school resource officer, the school's or vice principal, and the superintendent all mm-hmm. reached out to me. I ended up getting a, a sit-down meeting with the superintendent. Uh, the The principal ignored me uh, completely. Uh, she's a worthless bitch and should be fired. And I'm still I'm still pushing for that uh, to happen, but um, or at least to be disciplined in some way. But the uh, the ultimately, like, I kept going after everybody that I could until it got resolved. And the what ended up happening was the the little girl's parents. The school had told me that they had called the parents of the kids who were doing it and told them what was going on, and they never did. So I end up with the parents reaching out to me like, we had no idea this was happening. Nobody from the school ever called us, and they dealt with it because you know we live in rural Indiana. So I'm sure the girls probably got their asses beat as well they should have. Uh, and I didn't have to be the one that did it. So that's all the better. And, but the, the situation got resolved because like, and, and unfortunately the, the little girl who was getting bullied, uh, her dad's not in her life. Her mom is, um, probably going to die sometime in the next month. Like she's, Jeez. yeah, she's on her way out. And so like the family's very poor. And, like cancer or like I'm not sure she has, yeah, she has some sort of degenerative health problem that no, there's how, no how old is the girl uh 13 14 13 Jeez. yeah Man, that's terrible. so so it's like bad situation for the girl she doesn't have anybody to go to bat for her. and so like you know like we were talking about earlier like you know with stepkids or just like the coaching mentality uh this is step like, up she's here she's here at our house at least twice a week like mm. she's my kid just as much as all the other ones are and when it you know when she is being threatened, when she is in a position that she is being told, you know, go kill yourself and all of this other shit by these horrible little fuckwads, 
Yeah. It's my job to step up and be the man in this situation and handle this and handle it. And like that's what that's what we need more of. And if you're well, willing well, to do that, well, then luckily, luckily, when you when the her guardian or the guardians of the bullies got got information, they took your side and like corrected the situation. In this Liz Finnegan thing, the fucking aunt of one of the girls was calling that this girl that had been freaking bullied and sexually assaulted and was calling her and leaving threatening messages saying, we're going to get you love. And it's like, things would end very badly. Are you right? Things would end very badly for everybody involved. Like if, if these parents, because I got messages from the parents in, in this situation and I was prepared for the worst. Like I was prepared for them to, to defend Mm -hmm. their daughter's degenerate fucking behavior. And then I was going to, like take it upon myself to get take further action Uh, but i didn't have to but like that was what i was prepared to do like as a parent your job is to defend your kid tooth and nail and i mean oh yeah 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 i'm willing to do that for a kid that wasn't even mine like she's just here all the time you know i got in a fight i got a fight with my ex-wife one time because i went up to the daycare that that kept my kids and i fucking got into it with the fucking the people at the daycare and i was like and she calls me up and she goes, did you go up there saying this? And I was like, yes, I did. And she goes, why'd you do that? I was like, because I know better than to let somebody abuse my children. Yeah. I like, you're like, whatever, man. Like, we're all fight. They may not live with me, but if they tell me there's a problem, then we're going to go have that discussion. I didn't even go up there and just start shit. I called the kids up to the front and I said, you tell me now what you told me last Saturday. And they told me in front of the lady that they were accusing and she didn't argue. And I turned to that lady and I was like, you ain't doing that shit to my kids. Like you ain't going to do that shit to my kids. You don't know who the fuck you're fucking with. Like you're not going to fuck with my kids. They may not live under my fucking roof, but they are still my children and I will still fucking go to bat for them. I, think- I had a story like that with my my little brother, something similar, because my my stepdad ended up leaving uh, after my little brother was a few years old. And he was in I used to take him. My mom would go to sc- uh, work and I would take him to school in the morning and pick him up after after school. And one day he's got scratches on his face. I'm like, what happened? He's like, oh, this, this little fucker, you know, he didn't say that. But he's like, this little kid scratched me. I was like, all right. So I went up to the teacher. I said, hey, look. Look at my brother's face. You, you know, we got to do something about that. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll talk. Next day, I'm like, what was what was the resolution? What'd you do? Oh, well, I talked to his parents. I'm like, okay. About a week goes by, comes home with more scratches, and I'm like, listen, I got. I went and talked to the principal. I'm like, listen, you can't be doing this shit. You know, the kid's scratching my brother. We need to stop it now. Teacher said he talked to the parents. Parents didn't do shit, obviously, because he's doing it again. I'm like, you know, you got to do something. Finally, uh, one day I, 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 I was picking him up and I saw the dad and I said, hey, listen, your son is scratching my brother. I, the teacher said he talked to you. The principal said they talked to you. He's still doing it. I'm like, if he comes home next time, I'm going to beat the fuck out of you next time I see you. And that was the end of it. You mm-hmm. know, so you just got to you got to step up sometimes, you know. Yeah, this was this was the um, the bus driver that was picking him up from school. Uh, my, my son was 
he he was he was Mr. Popular, man. I mean, like he was real athletic. He was a wrestler, uh, a top baseball player on the team. Like he was he was super popular within the school. So he's chatting with his friends as he's trying to get on the bus, and the freaking bus driver reached down. You know that that loop they got on their backpack. She grabbed that shit and grabbed him, and it choked him. And she just yanked him up onto the bus. It's like, no, you don't, you don't treat my kid like that. You're not going to do that to my my son. I might do that to him, but you're not going to do that to him. You know, he's not going to do that to. Right. But I had been, but I was in daycare. I know how these these girls, these ladies treat fucking young boys. You know, I, I understand. I was in daycare when I was a kid, so I get it. I'm like. No, I'm not going to, you're not going to do that. You're not going to treat him like that. You're not going to bully him around. You don't have the right to bully him around. I'll come up here. And I went up there and I had him tell the story right in front of the lady who did it. And then she tried to defend herself. I said, shut the fuck up. You don't touch my kid like that. And my ex-wife got all pissed off and called me that evening. Did you go up there? Say, yes, I fucking did. Let somebody else touch him. Especially how expensive that daycare shit is. She's lucky it was a she. Because if it was a dude, I wouldn't even ask any questions. Right? It's like, so, you're lucky it was a she. (laughs) So, I guess kind of like getting back to wrapping some of this up. Hopefully, we having conversations like this can influence some of the younger guys who either have kids that are younger or are considering having kids like the solution is be a man in just i think your kids go defend your wife go defend the kids that don't have somebody defending them be a guy and step up to the plate well i think the solution is we need to put a, a solid definition on what it means to be a man that's the problem there's no solid definition behind it, right? Christ. Yeah, there, there's patience and caring and lo- like, like lovingness and kindness. Like I packed my wife's fucking suitcase to go to England. She didn't. She didn't have to pack it herself. She hates packing. I know she hates packing. I knew if 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 it was left to her, she would miss half the things. So over the week, I packed her things for her. Like I'm. That's that's a loving act. If she's in a mood where she doesn't feel like cooking, I'll cook, blah, blah, blah. If, if she can't get around to doing the laundry, I'll do the laundry. If she can't do the dishes, I'll do the dishes. But I'm also expected to go out there and fucking wrestle chickens and fucking mow the lawn and do all that shit, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm expected to be the stern, even kill, like hard-hitting motherfucker in the house. And so there's this, people don't understand what it means to be a man. And that's the problem. And it's like we were going, like we were talking about earlier. You lead by example. The child learns what it means to be a man by watching the father be a man. They do as they're, they, 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 they they do as they see, not as they're told. And if, if you don't have a good example, getting out there and doing the hard work and doing it the right way, like, like a Justin, like John, like Jason, then the kid gets fucking lost, man. Especially when they're breaking up the families and there's no man. 
They don't know how to be a man. All they know is the abuse the mother lays on them because the mother doesn't even know how to deal with a teenage boy. So all she knows how to do is hit him. That's if you're if you're a man in a position where like you're divorced and you've got kids, it's your responsibility to fight to be in those kids' lives as much as you possibly can. Like now that mine are older, we and and now that we're on actual like decent relationship terms and can get along, I'll let some days go that would normally be my days with the kids because I know I'm going to pick them up later. And, and also like we get a lot of time, uh, we get a lot of time together that uh, when they have like different, my daughter with her wrestling meets and tennis matches and stuff like that. And, like I get time with my kids uh, that I can make up for, not being there on some of the days that would be like our regularly scheduled days. So like we do a good job of, of having a good balance. And, and we, even when we didn't get along, there wasn't a lot of bad mouthing and most of the bad mouthing, um, it was inconsequential like bullshit. And, and I would let it roll off. And, and as they got older, we have, we've had discussions about some of that stuff that like the little that they've remembered of it. Um, but like, if you're hey, in a position where you don't, hey, where you don't hey, have man. kids every day, you've got to fight to have them as much as possible. And I like that's something that pisses me off to seeing dads that are just like, yeah, their mom won't let me see them. It's like, um, you have legal options. Like, she can't just not let you see them. Go. Why are you not yeah. going to that to see your kids every? Oh day? well, well, I'll answer that question. But I, I do got to jump off here. My, my dogs are about to have a heart attack. They're, they're fucking freaking out outside my fucking office door. Um, that, that, that question is because you have to pay $2,500 for a retainer for an attorney to even look at the case before they will take it because it doesn't fall under child support. It's not the same case. So it's not handled by the attorney general. You have to hire an outside attorney to look at your visitation rights. It's a completely different story. We should do, we should do a podcast, um, uh, on that and, and, and I'll get with you on that, but man dude these dogs are driving me nuts they're outside the door just crying i can only take so much of it i appreciate you having me on justin thank you very much for a great conversation but i just got a bolt man i'm sorry see you tommy it's good to see you brother later. all right bro love you tommy jason john love you guys see you later bro there we got yeah. really the only guy without a j name now we can do this the right way all right <laughs> no i agree with you uh you know my my dad when my parents got divorced, my dad was only, they were trying to get him to only be able to see us every other weekend. And he fought his ass off to uh, see us every weekend, you know, and he would, he would be at all my basketball games and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that's a pretty important thing too, is to, you, you know, to tell people you can fight for your kid and it's definitely worth it. Cause the alternative is all the shit that you're fear, fearful about, you know, the state running, you know, what your kid's going to, gonna think and do uh you know the furthering of the emasculation of the fucking kids is is gonna happen if you're not there if you're not putting up the fight and the kid is gonna see that you're not putting up that fight and that's gonna be even worse than anything that fucking any outside source can do as christians we know that that, that the truth was incarnated as a man so christ is christ is 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 the truth um and I think when we're asking like who do you model or how do you model especially if you're if maybe let's say you don't have a father uh figure in your life or or let's say your father figure in your life was was wasn't worth this uh 
wasn't worth the uh, the title. Um, you that's the the beauty of the of the Christ model is that you can model yourself after Christ as much as possible. Uh, and one of the big things with that is tell the truth. Don't lie. Don't lie to your kids. Don't lie to other people's kids. Don't let them see you. You know, lies are like this, that little, that little corruption. It's a weakness. And it's a weakness that's pernicious because it's easy, right? It's, uh, you know, and you can, it's, I'm not saying you can't tell a joke or you can't be, you know, maybe let's, let's say hyperbolic or something like that and let them know that, you know, with a wink that what you're doing. But lies have to be avoided at all costs. Because once a kid understands that you're lying, then they can't trust you. And as soon as they can't trust you, you're them. Like you're, you're, you're the, the, the hierarchy of the world to them. Like you, you give structure to, to reality until they have uh, any, any kind of experience to kind of buttress against that. And if their understanding of, of the hierarchy of reality is, is, is a lie on some level, or, you know, it's okay with stealing or okay with this or okay with those, those little tiny vagrancies that we, a lot of people can just find, find excuses for that's the deterioration that's where your principles go askew and it takes a long time speaking from personal experience to 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 write that ship uh so you know modeling christ in your own life is really important uh even for your children you don't, you don't have to be prophesizing you don't have to be talking even about christ it's just like you embody it you show them how you're embodying it they will embody it along with you and one of the big things is just don't lie to your kids at all uh, about but, anything. No, uh, conversation you, you can be wrong, but you know, yeah. a conversation that was going on in the chat on uh, over on Rumble was uh, the way that people talk to their kids and like not using baby talk and stuff like that. And like, I never, I never did like goo goo gaga baby talk with the kids. Like, even when they were little, I talked to them like I was talking to adults. Uh, like, I whenever we were doing something and going somewhere, like I'd tell them what we were doing and where we were going, even though they're you know they don't understand it. But that doesn't matter. Like, I still am having regular conversations with my kids and talking to them about, you know, stuff, even though there's no way that they're picking up any of it. Like, they don't speak words, but I'm still talking to them as if they do. And and being able to openly talk to kids and, and even, like, uh, you know, with my kids, when they ask me questions about stuff, I'm very straightforward and I tell them exactly the way it is and they don't always understand it. And that's fine. Like, I know. mean, it, 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 it does help that you have the vocabulary of a 12 year old though. So it's like, <laughs> you can just, you're, you're just meeting them on their level constantly. Yeah. A lot of times I've never talked to my kids like that baby talk either. Um, and then when I do talk to them, I talk to them like I would talk to anybody. And then every once in a while I'll say a word. And in my head, after I said, it, I'm like, they probably don't know what that means. And I ask them, do you know what this word means? No. And then I tell them, this is what it means. Oh, okay. I'm not expecting them to remember every single word I tell them, but you know, uh, I just want to make sure that they're on the same page as me as best as their little minds can, uh, you know, handle. Well, that's also how I figure out if they're actually listening. Cause if I say something and they're like, wait, what, how, what do you mean? Then I know that they're, they're not only are they listening, but they're, they're picking up that something I said isn't, isn't clicking like something they need more to it. And so having, having adult conversations with kids, I think it's good for them. Like I, I think they learn, uh, I think they learn a lot of stuff, like talking, going on, going back to the sending your kids to public school thing. Like my daughter was in a, uh, like a group project thing and she was in a group with a bunch of other girls. And it was shortly after Roe versus Wade got overturned and they wanted to talk about like 
how uh, women were going to die and all of this stuff that was going to happen because Roe versus Wade being overturned. And she's like, no, none of, that's, none of that stuff that you're saying is true. And she started explaining to them, like the actual statistics and breaking down for them how the the abortion bans in these different states and stuff have worked and, and how all of this stuff actually is in the real world, not the like left-wing talking points. And at the end of it, like the girls didn't want to do it because they realized that they were completely wrong about the topic that they were going to talk about. And, and like, that was because I had, when it happened, they had heard this stuff and I had the conversations with them and I told them, you know, what was going on with this stuff. And even for a, you know, 12, 13 year old, she picked that stuff up and she retained it and she understood because she like the things that she didn't understand. She asked, what do you, wait, what do you mean about that? Uh, and like sharp kids will ask follow up questions. If you just give them the opportunity, if you talk to them like they're dumbasses, then you are inevitably going to turn them into dumbasses. So like, you know, we, we should be, uh, which is the next topic that we'll talk about is, being in being uh manual manly intellectuals and actually using our brains and uh for for some of this stuff but you know if you talk to them and be for you know very forthright and straightforward with them and and tell them things and explain things to them they'll pick up on that stuff and that's like that's how we teach our kids and raise up the next generation to be like strong adults agreed Y'all got anything else? I think we've uh, gone, we've gone a little longer than I intended to, but this is, I, I also had I gotta, the expectation. I, I also had the expectation that this might run long, but um, I really appreciate it. Uh, give any plugs or anything you got, and we will call it a wrap. Uh, two Bit Podcast. You can find us on the Two Bit Podcast places. Uh, we're killing on Rumble now. So uh, live streams will now be on Rumble. It's every Friday, roughly around 7 p.m. Uh, we do a live show with my co-host Mark, where we talk about it's two old friends talking about things and stuff. So there's that, and then we also, of course, have the Friend or Fed once a month. We recover uh, certain personalities and uh, use that as a branch, as a launching pad to talk about whatever else comes up. Uh, last month was with Donald Trump. We had Peter Cronones, Thomas Seven Seven, and uh, Ryan Dawson on, as well as LB Munez. Uh, sort of a Salon for the Dissident Right. Uh, next month is looking like uh, it's going to be Joe Rogan. And if I pull it off, uh, a very, very special guest for next month. Like, the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time in doing the invite because I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out about the email that I have to write. But, uh, but if I, if I, if it lands, it lands, it lands huge. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. So there's things to look forward to, and uh, find us on all the places: Spotify, iTunes. Uh, well, you, YouTube until we get canceled and all the other places. And thanks, Justin, for having me on. I'm always it's always a pleasure, man. I'm always always uh, I'm always very humbled whenever I get these invites because I'm like, it's it's I just like being part of the conversation. Yeah, I guess you could check me out on on Twitter at spiritual underscore Ronin. Um, I'm also an artist. I have Instagram and TikTok. It is Seven Finger Studio uh, at Seven Finger Studio. Um, I don't really do much else. I kind of periodically I'll write some sub stacks, throw them out. You'll see them on Twitter if I do it. Um, also, I am working on a podcast right now. I'm just trying to get everything in order because I'm not very good at talking in like, you know, longest sentences and, and shit like that. And uh, I don't really want to have like a bunch of guests on. I want to just kind of 
uh, talk about the shit that I care about. So um, I'm, it's slow going, but it will be there again. If you follow me on Twitter at spiritual underscore Ronan, you'll uh, when I do that shit, you'll eventually see it. But check out my art because it's fucking awesome. It's behind me for those of you watching. Can confirm. And be sure to tune in for this. Uh, sometime in the next week, week and a half, I will have uh, LB Muniz, uh, let's see, Josiah, and a handful of other guys that are come on, and we're going to talk about the intellectual and spiritual side of, of manliness. And also, at some point in the next couple weeks, uh, I'll be joined by Remzo Martinez, uh, Duke Chastain and Don the Pleb to talk about masculinity in the military and how that has kind of gone down the shitter. Uh, so that's the con the continued conversation on manliness and bringing masculinity back to the world. Thank you, everybody who was in the chat. It was been a lot of fun. John, Jason, uh, Tommy, who's already left. Thank you all very much for being here for this. This has been great. Uh, for anybody who's watching live, the episode will drop on Wednesday to the podcast feed. And be sure to tune in for the next one of these. Thanks, guys. It's been great. Thanks, brother. Before you go, make sure you check out our great sponsor, Agorist Acres. Now, agoristacres.com, you can find over 100 varieties of seeds. They've got vegetables, flowers, all kinds of stuff. They've got heritage brands everything that you want to start any kind of garden that you need. It's free shipping on any order of $20 or more. They've got cool packaging and most of the seeds come in a fancy glass vial, no paper envelopes. They accept US dollars and crypto and can easily take either at checkout. Now be sure to head over to agoristacres.com and anything that you get, use the promo code FCT at checkout for 10% off your order. I say all the time, that you need to be starting your own garden, you need to be growing your own food, you need to be getting off the grid and becoming less dependent on grocery stores and stuff like that. Agorist Acres is a great first start. They have got everything you need for whatever kind of garden you want. Great people, great product, highly recommend. So go check them out.